This is Looking Forward, conversations about the future of work, brought to you by Herman Miller. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Looking Forward podcast. I'm Ryan Anderson, your host. I'm VP of Global Research and Insights at Herman Miller. One of the questions I get asked the most from different organizations I talk to is, what are other organizations doing? What's your organization doing? How are we all supporting flexible working and redesigning our office spaces or thinking about our office spaces differently now than we were a few years ago? And so today I get to introduce you to two of my favorite colleagues, two people that I really appreciate from within Herman Miller, Matt our Senior Vice President of Global Real Estate Architecture and Development, and Greta Peterson, Senior Manager of Global Workplace Strategy and Development. Together, these two, Greta and Matt, in concert with a host of others from HR, IT, legal, etc., they're walking the talk for Herman Miller. They're taking our research and putting it into practice. And I think you'll enjoy hearing about what they've been up to, specifically around one of our most celebrated and visible facilities, Design Yard, near our headquarters here in West Michigan. So enjoy this chat with Matt and Greta. Hey, Greta and Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks very much for having us. It is super fun to have you both here. Uh, I, you know this, but I love working with you. I consider you both friends. It's a special treat for me to be able to spend a little bit of time talking to you about what you do for Herman Miller and how you are thinking about future work and workplace. So let's start just by helping our listeners to get to know you. Maybe Greta, you can kick us off. Tell us about you. Tell us about what you do. And then Matt, take it from there. So Ryan, uh, my name is Greta Peterson, of course, and I lead global workplace strategy and development at Miller Knoll. And I like to consider myself an employee advocate when it comes to brass tacks. Um, but generally speaking, my role and the role of my team, I think we're really responsible for holding our places accountable to our people, our values, our point of view, and of course, our business. My name is Matt, and uh, I have the stunning privilege of, uh, of leading our architecture and development and real estate teams, which comprises Greta and her team. Um, we have a, actually a pretty decent swathe of, of property across the planet, probably about 9 million square feet in total. So we've got a lot of different types of places that we inhabit. And, uh, and we're really lucky to have an internal team that's, that's, that's filled with, uh, with subject matter experts to help us figure out what workplace strategy should be for us. Uh, and actually, Greta's team joined us probably just a little less than a year ago, full time, which is the first time, I think, in 25 years that we had an internal team focused on our own workplace. I know it's a fun job, but it's also like being a chef for a bunch of other chefs. I have to believe that creating spaces for her Miller comes with a unique set of challenges. I want to hone in on a phrase you used, Greta. You said our, you, you need to hold our places accountable yeah. to our employees, and I would assume to the expectations of people that know a lot about workplace. What, is, like, what does that mean? We just need to practice what we preach. I mean, we, we put ourselves out there as a thought leader and being able to hold ourselves accountable to all of our best thinking and really trying to use place as a lever for, for strategic change, using place as a lever to, to drive great people results too. I, I mean, the possibilities are endless. So it's, I think, a very exciting level of responsibility to hold our places to a level of rigor that we just haven't, historically speaking, and we haven't internally in our offices in the past. And it's quite it's quite interesting, isn't it, Greta? Because we've we've had such a period of uh, acquisition over the last sort of twenty years, 
that that variation in footprint is really sort of the the product of many different ideas over time. And so our workplace strategy has been really individually focused um, for quite a long time and and never really brought together in one place. So the exciting thing for us is to say, what do we we actually believe are the important factors within workplace design and execution and management? And how do we make that not standardized, but how do we have a set of guiding principles that we can apply to all of our spaces in different ways that are, you know, both common in, in, in goal, but, but unique in practice. So Matt, unpack that a little bit more. If you had to try to characterize the workplace design or workplace strategy that we've had leading into the pandemic and maybe what, if anything, changed as a result, what's that journey looked like? Well, you know, we, we looked at this for, for quite a bit before the pandemic. So about 18 months, Gre- Greta, while she's been in the team properly for about a year, we, we sort of borrowed her and her team for about a year and a half looking at our workplace because we knew that we needed to, to sort of catch up. We spent a lot of time investing in our public facing facilities, probably about six or seven years, right sizing our showroom footprint when we were just Herman Miller. Um, and once we'd got sort of stabilized in that in that footprint, we, we wanted to turn our lens backwards. And then as we sort of came to the end of our ideas about living office and, and, and really sort of reinvigorating our perspective on what work is, um, we wanted to turn that lens in on, inward uh, onto ourselves. And so I think what, what we knew before the pandemic and what the pandemic helped us to sort of rationalize was that, that our places were lagging behind some more ambitious workplace strategies of mobility and, and and variety and we were still in many cases still sort of sort of cube based i think mm-hmm. as a bit of a residue from the past and i think some of our some of our spaces particularly where we have um you know multi-use like showrooms uh, which also support office functions as well they were a little bit more progressive but generally our offices themselves were a little bit of a uh, in a little bit of a bygone age so i think um what we know is that we wanted to change that. We know that we were very desk dominant. We were very sort of 85%, I think, in West Michigan, one desk for one person. And and with the, uh, I, I guess, with the evolution of, of, of work itself and the variety of roles that we take on within our day, um, that just didn't really do it for, for our work workforce. Well, for the sake of our listeners, I feel like I should unpack a few things. One being living office, which Matt referenced, which is how we sometimes refer to our uh, evolving body of research around work and workplace. And we actually have tools that help to rethink the role of workplace based on living office. And I know you um, have a very high standard, Matt, and you've painted a picture of a little bit of a difference between front of the house and back of the house, which I think was true. Although having said that, having visited I don't know, hundreds or thousands of workplaces in my career. I still think the bar you maintained was far beyond what most have. But if there's one space that feels like has gotten more pressure and more eyes on it uh, than any else, it's Herman Miller Design Yard. And if you happen to be a listener who has visited Herman Miller in West Michigan, you've probably experienced Design Yard. Could one of you tell us a little bit about this facility and why it tends to be a bit more visible and, and more watched than our other ones? The design yard is an awesome place. I mean, it's our ultimate sandbox, right? So it was it was designed in the 80s as a place for our product development teams. Um, and it's sort of evolved over time as being our kind of de facto HQ. We've got our leadership team here. We've got a lot of creative teams here, product development, testing, uh, all of that. So we've got, we got a, a pretty broad um, cross-section of employees here. Um, and it's also our most visited customer experience center. So it sort of acts as a, as a pseudo showroom at the same point, um, a sort of our, our best version of what we think 
uh, is, is our workplace of the future. So it's where we test uh, our latest ideas and where we can really show that. And then we can share that with, with customers. But um, you, you join us at the end of our first phase of our, our most recent uh, transformation there. And, and I think that's what you're referencing about the sort of the excitement there, which, which Greta led and, and, and is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, well, we, I mean, it, it being part of uh, the research organization, we have the privilege of working with both of you on all of our space transformations. I was observing just how active, even in 2020, both of you were in terms of really working on our spaces in various locations, but tackling a redo of Design Yard felt like a major initiative. You mentioned that we're just completing that first phase. Can one of you share a little bit about what we're trying to do? What's the vision and where we're we at? Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of start from a, a big picture perspective. As Matt mentioned, the design yard as a building and more importantly, the front door perhaps um, as of more recent has really been that customer showcase and it's received quite a bit of love and attention getting refreshed and refreshed over the years. And the remaining building has, has not ever really been part of the scope. And so looking beyond this front door square footage really allowed us to reevaluate what we could do. And as it turned out, looking at shifting towards a more flex versus fixed desking strategy, as, as Matt mentioned, historically, it's been very individually based. We've been able to pull that lever of going unassigned from a desking strategy standpoint to free up real estate to do some really great things in other parts of the building, which we wouldn't have been able to achieve, to be honest, had we not looked at the, the building scale. So in general, what we're able to do beyond the front door is support our product development teams in new ways. Uh, we've included a makerspace on site now, a design studio, a gym, and we're bringing our archives experience on site here as well. So I think we're making some really, really great moves and trying to kind of think differently about how we're leveraging our real estate, how we're allocating square footage and trying to, to really do more with less and compress and enrich that work experience. Well, there's lots of different facets to unpack there, but I have to pause and say, I'm guessing many of our listeners don't know what you are referring to when you say front door. They may literally be thinking of the front door. Can you explain mm -hmm. a little bit about what that means and how it's different from the rest of the building? Yeah, I, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the design yard front door was added onto the building in 2000, around the year 2000. So it's about 20 years old. Yeah, that's right. It would it was an addition. Um, sort of the front door comprises that as well as a, a piece that existed, but it sort of became the the most front of house component of our office. And, and so it used to house the executive leadership team and the marketing teams and some of the, the, the PD guys. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was it was very much sort of the the yeah, the front of house experience. Um, everything beyond that was considered much more working. Um, and much more workshop focused as well. So when, when we talk about workshop, we're not already talking about office workshop. It's like literally making stuff with your hands, sitting in it, making it break, falling off it, you know, all, all of those good things. That's really helpful. And yeah, you mentioned the PD folks, meaning product development. A lot of the building is much more hands-on. Uh, there's engineering activities. There's robots beating up furniture. And the front door was kind of that highly visible area. So you mentioned, Greta, we're not just redoing 
the really visible thing is it sounds like a comprehensive redo of the whole building. Is that right? It is. And in, in order to make some of the more macro changes we wanted to, we really had to look at a building scale in order for those changes to, to occur. So um, again, looking big picture at driving some broader changes, which is really exciting. It's really nice, Ryan, when you get to see that interaction between different employee types, right? So what we're trying to do here is create a, a building scale initiative that really explores that that place of confrontation and exchange between different types of employees and different types of work, because that's kind of the richness of, of work. That's the richness of the office where you find those sort of, you're on the fringes of, of departments and you have a conversation that you weren't expecting. That's that's sort of what we want to what we want to see there. Um, we often talk about um, internally. We talk about thinking and making. Of course, we all think and make all all at the same time. But some some is more with your hands, and some is more uh, on a keyboard. Uh, it's nice to bring that together in one place and have diversity of thought. Um, that's uh, that's really important to us. I have to say, probably nearly all or almost yeah pretty much all of my favorite spaces that we've got are those spaces where people from a wide variety of functions like manufacturing what might be viewed as more traditional office or engineering come together and this building is a really unique mashup um, you mentioned that there were lots of assigned desks it was pretty desk dominant and you wanted to free up space to do other things. There's tons of conversations going on out there in the world right now about shared desking, strategies like activity-based working. Like, what does this look like for us? What are we doing differently than just assigning everyone a desk and filling our floor plans full of them? I, I feel like we're moving to more to an urban model than a suburban model where we're trying to, Greta mentioned earlier, she talked about compressing and enriching, which is a really, really important phrase for us. When you think about your own personal footprint in an office, that needs to be smaller than ever because there are so few things that you need to do on your own. Um, so we like to think of that being a, a, a more kind of a small urban like your apartment in New York, where then you have the amenities of a massive park and restaurants and, and cinemas and, and other places to interact with your with your co-workers and come together because then that 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 exchange can be that can uh, can be can be really rich. I think you have the nail on the head, and I would add to that to just give you some examples of how some of those principles are coming into action, and how we're planning the spaces. I would say, given the fact that we are going unassigned from a desking standpoint, uh, we're at least as as far as the design yard is concerned, we're using a kind of five by five personal module footprint, if you will. Um, but to, to look at that team scale, we're adopting uh, an assigned team neighborhood approach. So even though the desks aren't assigned to an individual, the neighborhoods are assigned to teams. So they, quote unquote, know where to find their close ties. And so that helps manage some of that predictability in a more dynamic work experience. And I think that that's helping people navigate this uh, new norm that we're setting for them. Yeah, I think that the concept of neighborhood-based planning is very intriguing. In the past, we've maybe seen more traditional approaches where every person gets an assigned desk, but we've also seen activity-based working where like absolutely everything is shared throughout the facility, which can create less predictability. And I can't remember if I've shared this on the podcast, but I remember many months ago talking with somebody in Australia back when they had opened up a little bit more. And this person said to me, I think in the future coming into the office is a little bit like going to a party. You go there because you want to see people, but there's no way you're going to go without a friend. <laughs> and so a neighborhood gives you the sense of like, I know where my people probably are. I know somebody there as opposed to it being complete chaos, which 
you know, that, that sort of approach hasn't worked as well in North America. Well, that would be a very transient experience, wouldn't it? If, there was, if, there's, if there's no assignment at all, then there's no way of knowing who's going to be there. It'd be just like going to, a, to an Airbnb, right, as opposed to living in a block of flats. And that's, that's like the, the opposite. There's no building of community in that way. So we know that those, the small team dynamics are really important to develop community within the small, the small teams. But also they need specific tools. We know that every team has a specific set of needs, which is going to be different than the one next to it. And so that's the other benefit of being able to make these neighborhoods is you can really, you can really assign the right tools to the right teams. Um, and then they can feel free to share that if they if they want to, or and if you feel if you feel brave enough to go and uh, and sit in someone else's space, then then happy days come and come and say hi. You mentioned compress and enrich. Um, if we're taking people's individual space down to a fairly small one in the midst of say a neighborhood, does that then mean that there aren't other places to go do individual work? Is is the rest of the floor plan now all group and community, or are there still opportunities? outside of what may be your space to go do heads down work? Yeah, I'll, I, I'd say there's a, a very, very purposeful shift we're making in looking at not just the desk as a work point to support individual work, but a series of different places that offer individuals with quite a bit of variety and choice on the spectrum of individual work. And for us, that comes in the form of spaces like phone rooms or well-being rooms or um, other types of areas that are shared, uh, libraries. We have focus rooms that are essentially kind of like libraries. They, they function as the quiet floor in, at a campus library where it's intended for intensive focus, quiet, um, sometimes in some cases kind of tech-free zones, if you will. So there's definitely a broader spectrum of choice when we think about supporting individual work beyond the desk. Um, and I think that's a very exciting um, change and upgrade we're making in helping that that office be an on-demand destination in support of, of individual work um, that really hasn't been well supported at home in some cases. Yeah. And, and in fact, we also have as, as part of that sort of continuum of, of places to be able to focus, we have high high performance desking as well in, in, in that mix. So if you're if you're officing somewhere else and you need to go and find someone with you're going to sit there for two days. So you want double monitors and a high adjustable desk and a high performance seat that's there for you. Um, and so, so we have sort of dedicated spaces for that as well. What you're saying resonates with me, partly because I'm a user of this space, <laughs> but also because of the research we've done. I definitely think there's a vibe where people want to be able to connect in community. They want to see members of their team, but there's a risk in making the commute. If once you're in a space, your individual focus needs, like if you've got that spreadsheet and you know it has to get complete in the next 90 minutes tomorrow, the notion of going into a place where that can't be supported is also risky. So this idea of connecting with others, spending time with the team, but also being able to retreat and really do some heads down work all in one location, I think is very compelling. And I'm personally grateful for it. I think that's also helped by the by the smaller team dynamics of, of neighborhoods because it's, they're quite manageable. If the whole office was unassigned and there was no sort of management of the overall population, that'd be very difficult to secure a space. But because the spaces are quite small and they're, and they're sort of owned by teams, the management of those 10, 20, 
people is, is actually pretty straightforward. So the likelihood is you can probably find the right kind of space. Well, and the other benefit of neighborhoods is that not only do you get to kind of have this sense of place for different teams or groups, you're much more likely to encounter their work because we have to recognize that coming out of 18 months of being apart that our, our social networks and the, the fabric of these cultures, organizational cultures, can sometimes be very strained. So seeing each other is nice, but it's out of context with the work. And we had just talked with um, a friend of Herm Miller, an organizational sociologist named Dr. Andreas Hofbauer about something very similar. So I personally love the idea of neighborhoods because I want to see people, but I also want to, you know, interact with their work, see what they're up to and how it might relate to some of the things we're doing. It's also really important to understand where you fit in the machine of the office, right? So where, where do you fit in the continuum of work that happens in our business, right? So, so to be exposed to all those other components is really rich. It is. You mentioned continuum of work. I was about to ask about continuum of workplace. So I know our goal is to create fantastic offices that are held accountable to the needs of our people, but Herm Miller's also decided to purposefully support work from home. Matt, I think some of that falls under your guidance. Tell us a little bit about that and then maybe talk each of you about that relationship between corporate office and work from home. Are they redundant? Are they in competition? Are they complementary? What does this new landscape look like? Well, the, the big headline is that offices and homes have to coexist because they're both legitimate places of work. Um, and I don't think they, they, they survive without each other now. I think we've now become sort of accustomed to living at work by being at home all the time. So there's, there's, there's enough of an idea of retreat Coming into the office, I quite look forward to the commute now, so I can uh, so I can zone out and talk to some friends in the in the car. Um, I think the it, the interesting thing we you know we were we were we were forced to all leave the office last March, right? In in one day, it was like literally a stampede, uh, like you're leaving a burning house. And so lots of people were working uh, on their kitchen tables, um, and 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 we saw really quickly that there was there was there was you know a massive potential for injury and and disengagement and it was hard to be you know, we went into it with inertia of, of our of our connections and our networks which we sort of carried on but but without having the support of the workplace to, to really help you with your with your day-to-day needs so we so we identified pretty early on that we need to help employees at home we didn't know how long covid was going to last actually we didn't think it would last this long but but we knew we had to do something to try and help people at home so we organized a, a, a contribution for every employee to help outfit their their home work environment, whether it's part of a bedroom or an office, if you're lucky enough to have an office in your house. And, and it sort of covered anything that you might consider as part of that that need. So whether it's a computer or a headset or a height adjustable desk or a high performance seat or a, a new monitor. So um, that's still in, in process. And we think it's probably something that will be around with us for, for, the, for the foreseeable future, certainly. And that's not just for people who are considered, as we once maybe thought in more binary terms, remote. That's for employees who also are going to be working from offices, but maybe splitting their time between both. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, we, we did it at a point when we didn't know when we'd ever come back to the office, but we, now, but we now know, we suspected before, but we now know that people will use home as well as the office. And so those both those places need to need to coexist and, and support the office worker, right? Yeah. So what is the what does success look like? Or or maybe we can even get into the metrics of success. Greta, I know that before joining this team, you did quite a bit of advisory and consultative work with with Herm Miller customers thinking about this. How do we begin to in this new era 
measure the success of workplace moving forward? This is a heavy loaded one, but I'll, I'll try to boil it down to kind of the way I'm thinking of it, of it so far. So to me, success really means that place can deliver a return on value which is not just a one-time thing like a return on investment, ROI, but an ongoing commitment. Again, going back to that notion of accountability, it's an ongoing commitment to our people, our customers, our places, and our business for a very long period of time. And I think historically speaking, we've viewed places as a cost, not, not just place as a value. And so when we're thinking about when we start thinking about driving strategic outcomes, we're looking at tracking things like our leaseman scores, um, looking at our Gallup net promoter scores from our employees' perspective, also tracking things like space utilization, which for us is a proxy for not just performance of our space, but hopefully drop once people uh, return to off their, our offices. Um, We're also looking at some things like space allocation metrics to really start to track where we've been and more importantly, where we're headed um, when it comes to the ongoing evolution of our spaces. So I'd say that's what success looks like to me. I got a new metric uh, as well, just based on one of the comments that that I got this week from uh, Megan Lyon, our chief strategy officer. I don't know if you saw that. I I posted uh, the video that we that we that we launched for the design yard. She said that she loves coming to the space and pinches herself every time she comes through the door. So Mm -hmm. I think all our spaces need to be pinch worthy. Yeah. Yes. Just don't start pinching anybody else. (laughs) But I know you're kind of smiling and joking, but I will say there's something about human nature that people are out going to concerts more. We're we're going to restaurants more. There does need to be some spark of desirability. Like this is this is a cool place to be. Like this is a place I, I enjoy being. If we really expect people to choose it when you know they need to justify the commute. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So I have a couple of questions. I know we're getting a little long on time. Um, one question is, we, we've talked about Design Yard, but as you mentioned earlier, Matt, we've got a portfolio of space around the world. Is there any different approach that comes to mind in terms of how we need to think about this in different parts of the world? Or is this mentality that you've described or this workplace strategy you've described something that you think will work across different regions? I think it's a derivative of it everywhere. Um, but I think we have to really think about the cultures of, of the places we're investing in. Um, and I think one one size will not fit all, right? So it's not a homogenous approach to to office. There's there's a, a lot of variation in culture, a lot of variation in, ter- in, in work type as well. And so I think... Um, I think I think generally we need to see what's what's common in in terms of goal, and then I think I said what's unique in each scenario. Um, I think what will carry through everything is it has to be human focused, uh, it has to be employee focused, uh, and the outcome will be engagement. So my final question is this, and I haven't prepped either of you for it, so I'm putting you on the spot. But I'm just curious, you personally, knowing that you're involved in the creation of these facilities, like what do you love? about a workplace? And is there anything that you're still hoping to try or trends on the horizon that you really hope that we can eventually begin to think about or do more in our own facilities in the future? That's, that's, a, pretty big, that's a pretty big question. Um, we, have a, we have a real opportunity to help improve the lives of the people that work <laughs> with us. Um, and I'm so lucky with, with, with our group to be able to influence not just workplace and architecture and all sorts of other sort of services that are, that are connected to 
to workplace as well, like food service and security and, and facilities management, you know, all these other layers, which are where sort of work interfaces with the, with the employee. And so my goal is to sort of say, how, how do we, how do we materially impact and improve the, the experience of each employee every, every time they you know, interact with us. And so I hope, um, what I love about it is having that that level of, of impact, actually, frankly, w- with with the amazing team that we've got. But I think uh, looking forward, wouldn't it be better, would be great to just keep improving that every time. So can we help improve the nutrition of our employees? Can we help improve the work-life balance of our employees? Can we actually help the, the mental health of our, of our employees because of the things that we do and because of our research and our development and all those, all those good things? It's a, it's a phenomenal um, responsibility. It's a bit scary at times, but I th- but I think it's, it's such a such a challenge, um, and I I know Greta and I take it very seriously. Our whole team take it seriously, and and, and the company at large. So I think you know what what better what better job to have, and what better place to be doing it than here. I, I can't think of one. Uh, yeah, I'd say I would agree with all of what Matt has just said, and I would add to that. I think from my perspective, I'm really looking at the employee experience layer through the lens of every project has an opportunity to create another network or another node in a network of places, really helping people have an exemplary workplace experience in a variety of different locations, whether that's at home, whether that's at the office that's closest to their home location, or whether that's um, aligning them themselves with another team or group that's located in a different building, in a different facility, in a different city. And trying to make uh, experience that is consistent and predictable, but is also very much in tune with uh, the, the, I guess, technology integration layer of that. And how do you help empower someone with the tools and the technology to make choices about how to leverage that network of places to do their best work, whether it's super local or super global. So I think that's a big moonshot goal that once we start cracking at our project pipeline, which is getting longer and longer by the day, um, it's just really exciting to think of every project as an opportunity to to activate one more light bulb on the globe of places in where people can, can do work wherever they are. I love it. Thank you. Uh, first from me for being two of the most important people to walk our talk and make this really work. And as a user of these spaces, I'm particularly thankful for you and what you do. But on behalf of our listeners, thanks for joining the Looking Forward podcast. We appreciate it. Delighted to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Ryan.